First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Well, it is so good to be with you on this first Sunday of 2020. And as we do each January, we want to take a day today before we jump back into our study of 2 Samuel next week to just refocus our, our vision on who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do as a church family. In this year called 2020. Uh, we do want to have 2020 vision. We don't want our vision to be uh, blurry or confused or out of focus. We want to fix our eyes on, on who the Lord is and what He has called us uh, to do and to be. And I'm, I'm excited today about the message that uh, God has laid on my heart to share with you. It's one that I believe is very, very simple uh, and yet also very powerful if we as a church will grab a hold of what the Lord will say to us today. Uh, But, you know, before I even get to our main passage for uh, today, uh, on this Vision Sunday, as we kind of just look ahead to 2020, uh, I just want to share with you very quickly some of the reasons I believe uh, that we uh, should be excited about the year 2020, uh, this year that is in front of us. These are things, again, we should be excited about, things that we should be praying about uh, as a church family in 2020. First off, we can be excited in 2020 because of the opportunities that are in front of us to take the gospel uh, to the nations. Uh, We're now less than a month away from our global missions week called Engage, coming up February 2nd through the 9th. And and during Engage, we're going to share some of those opportunities uh, with you. And we can all be involved in what God is doing among the nations. We can pray and we can give and we can go. Uh, and the Lord will call, I believe, many of us in this room right now to go, maybe on a, a short-term trip or perhaps for even a longer duration, to go for a, a summer, to go for a few months or a few years or even for a lifetime uh, to take the good news of the gospel among the nations. We, we can be excited about what God is doing among the nations and how we as a church can be a part of it. Uh, I'm also excited this year about what God is doing and the opportunities we have right here in Brevard County. And One of those opportunities, if you haven't heard about it yet, uh, is the Space Coast City Fest that's going to be taking place at the end of March, just a couple weeks before Easter. And uh, by the time this event takes place, I believe there will be more than 200 churches in our county that will be coming together to participate in this event. And when the time comes, I'm going to be asking you, uh, to invite your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers who don't know the Lord to go up to Vieira to a field that's right across from the baseball stadium there. where There'll be activities happening throughout the day and there'll be a gospel message given at night and a festival style. Uh, and, and we're expecting and praying and trusting God for 20,000 people to be there during the two nights of the Space Coast City Fest. So I want to ask you to be in prayer for that as the gospel is shared on those two nights that many, many people will come to know Jesus. Uh, To my knowledge, this will be the uh, largest crusade-style evangelistic event that has ever taken place in Brevard County. And so let's begin praying right now for what God will do 
uh, in those final days of the month of March. Another thing I'm excited about in 2020 is the opening of the treehouse across the street from our church. If you're new to our church, you're not sure what the treehouse is. Uh, it's the large two-story house that's uh, located directly across a dairy road from the church and in partnership with a great ministry in our area called Brevard Rescue Mission. Uh, it is going to be a place where women and children in transition uh, can get the help that they need to get back up uh, on their feet. And, and this, uh, this is a project that we have been uh, praying about and dreaming about and working towards for actually several years now. It's taken much, much longer than any of us uh, thought that it would take. Uh, but the Lord has been teaching me, as I'm sure at times in your life he's been teaching you, that it isn't always our timing uh, when things happen. It is the Lord's perfect timing when they uh, take place. Uh, but that timing is coming. And so this past year, we were able to finish all the outside work on those uh, two properties. Uh, and then uh, we're, we're waiting any day, the permit to be able to do the inside renovation work. We'll have some work days planned where you can come and be a part of that. Uh, and then at that point, we're hopefully just a few months away uh, from opening that ministry and having the first residence uh, be there. And so this is going to be an exciting day, something we've been praying about for a long time and seeing that vision and that dream come to fruition. Uh, also, another big thing happening in 2020, and, and I believe this is going to be an incredible year as we take uh, the next big steps forward in our greater things uh, vision. Uh, we believe that God has called us to greater things, uh, greater things both in terms of uh, planting new churches, and I'll come back to that in, in just a moment, and greater things also in expanding our facility that we might be able to reach more of our neighbors with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, God is sending us new folks every week. Uh, in fact, in uh, 2019, this, this past year, uh, we were blessed to have a, a record 259 people who came to one of our first family events just in last year alone. Uh, over 100 of those folks the Lord led to become a part of our church family. And so we know that as God continues to bless and continues to send folks, uh, we're not going to be able to reach those folks with the message unless we make room uh, for them. And, uh, and so our church uh, has a building team that has been uh, working hard, and I'll give you an update in just a moment on their work. Uh, but again, in case uh, you're new, this, this block diagram shows a little bit of, of where the proposed new worship center and new atrium would be. It would be directly to the south of where we're sitting now, right out in front of that uh, freestanding education building that uh, is there. Uh, this is a picture of the exterior that, again, if you're new, you may not have seen uh, before of what the proposed new building will uh, look like. And I believe we also have a couple of, of new pictures of, of the interior of the building as we continue to work on that design. This is a picture from uh, what will be the new front door of the church on the south side, uh, looking down uh, the corridor there, the atrium that will connect in with uh, the main building. I believe this next picture is also in the atrium. It's taken from uh, the second level, the mezzanine of the atrium, looking back uh, at the main entrance. And again, as these plans are still uh, being finalized, you can even see from these preliminary pictures that this is going to be a beautiful place and a functional place uh, where God's people can gather together, where they can fellowship, uh, where the people of God can move in and out uh, of the new uh, worship center, uh, which is projected to hold about 1,400 people, roughly double uh, what our current worship center 
holds. Uh, just to give you an update on, on where things stand now, again, your building team has been working hard over this uh, past uh, year and even the past several months since we shared an update with you back in September. Uh, the plans uh, both for the site plan and for the inside of the building itself are getting closer and closer to being finalized. Uh, and as we uh, are receiving now some real numbers on the scope of this work, as those numbers are coming in, I do want you to know that your building team is working hard to keep uh, the cost of this project within the original uh, 12 to $14 million estimate that was given to the church at the start of Greater Things. Uh, we believe it will be at the upper end of that range. We still believe that the project can come in uh, within that original estimate. As we progress through the spring months and into the early summer months, uh, we anticipate being able to share those final plans with you. Uh, and at that time, to give you a timeline of when we would uh, vote as a church on beginning construction and uh, pending the result of that vote, of course, uh, when we might have a groundbreaking ceremony. We, we anticipate that all of that will take place uh, during this year, 2020, and that by the end of this year, you would be able to see some visible progress being made on uh, these new church facilities. It's going to be an exciting year of 2020 ahead when it comes to that aspect of greater things, but I'm also excited as we continue to see uh, our church planning vision move forward. Last year, we renamed our church planning residency program the Launchpad. Uh, some of you might not have seen uh, that Launchpad uh, emblem or logo before, uh, but, but we really believe and trust God that, that he will use our church here on the Space Coast uh, to be a launching pad for the start of new churches. Uh, new churches here in Brevard County, uh, new churches in major cities across the United States, and as God opens the door, even new churches in other countries as well. And so be in prayer for Launchpad. Be in prayer specifically this year, as we're only one year away now uh, from our target year to send out our first uh, church plant. And the goal that God has given us is one church per year starting next year, 2021. And so be in prayer this year as we get closer to that date uh, that God would lead us to the location of where he wants that first plant uh, to be, uh, that God would lead us to the leadership team that he wants to call out from our church and those individuals from our church that he wants to call out and send out uh, to be a part of this a new effort of what the Lord is doing. And I could share so much more uh, about 2020 and the things that uh, are ahead. Uh, but you know what excites me as well, and really what I want us to spend the rest of our time uh, thinking about this morning, it excites me to think about what God could do in and through our church this year if each and every one of us were to focus this year on one lost friend that we want to see come to know Jesus. There's a question on the sign in front of you and on the screens behind me. Very simple question, just three words. Who's your one? That's the question I want you to think about today. Who's, who's your one? Who's the one person that's on your heart today that you're praying more than anybody else, that you're praying that this one person would come to know Jesus as their Savior? With that question in mind, if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to John chapter 1? John chapter 1. We're going to read about the very, very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we're going to see how his first few followers came to hear about him. John chapter 1. We'll start reading in verse 35. Word of God says this. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. 
Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go any further. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray, God, you would take this word and drive it deeply into our hearts. That we might join you, Father, in your mission this year, where you have sent us and where you have placed us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about this simple question today, who's your one? Uh, I, I want us to Think about a few actions that each of us, I believe, need to take uh, when we consider the story before us. Uh, the first action we need to take is we need to consider God's pattern. Consider God's pattern. His pattern is each one bring one. Uh, that's what we see happening here in John chapter 1. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, actually what you see here are two separate stories of people bringing one other person to the Lord Jesus. The first story involves Andrew and his brother, Simon Peter. In verses 35 and 36, we read that John the Baptist was standing there one day with two guys who had been following him and had been learning from him. And he saw Jesus walking by and he pointed his finger at him and he said, behold, look, the Lamb of God. If you glance up at verse 29, John the Baptist said the very same thing the day before and here he says it again and and now what is he doing he's identifying Jesus as the lamb of God as the sacrifice that God would send for our sins he's really identifying Jesus as the messiah the anointed one the promised one that his people had been waiting for and so these two guys hear this witness from John about Jesus and the text says they leave John and they go to follow after Jesus 
And we're going to talk a lot, we're not going to talk a lot about John the Baptist here today, but he really is, in many ways, the ideal witness in this whole story. Well, we're talking about bringing one to Jesus. Well, John is bringing one after one to to Jesus. He's pointing everyone to Jesus, and and, and John uh, is not alarmed in any way that people are leaving him to follow Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 3, he said, this is what my whole ministry has been about. He must increase, and I must decrease. And Uh, He gives us a great example of what our lives should be about, pointing other people to Jesus. We're not to live our lives to build our own kingdom. We're to live our lives to point people to our king. Verse 38, Jesus sees these two guys who are starting to walk after him, and he turns around and he asks them a question. He says, what do you seek? That seems like a simple question. He was basically asking them, what do you want? You know, when you think about it, that's a question that at some point or another, when we begin to seriously consider following Jesus, at one point or another, he's going to turn around and he's going to ask us that question. What do you want? Why are you really following me? What do you expect to find when you come after me? And are you willing to give up everything else in order to do it? Well, they reply by saying that they want to know where he was staying. That was a way of indicating that they were serious about becoming his disciples. They wanted to stay with him. They wanted to live with him. They wanted to follow him on the road. They wanted to learn from him. And so Jesus responds in verse 39 with a simple three-word invitation. He says, come and see. Come and see. Again, that's the same invitation that Jesus gives to every one of us today, to come and see and see, to see who Jesus is, and to follow him. But if we're going to do that, we're going to need to be willing to surrender control of our lives over to the Lord. I know that many of you in this room already know Christ in a personal way. I I believe he's still giving us that invitation to come and see this year. He has some, some things planned for each of his children in 2020, some good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. And he's inviting us to come and, and to see what he has in store for us this year. But we have to follow closely behind him. We have to be willing to go where he's calling us to go if we want to experience those things that he has planned for us this year. But, but also, and really this is the focus of this message today, the Lord Jesus wants us to invite others to come and see as well. And that's what one of these two guys is about to do with his own brother. Verse 40, it tells us that one of these two guys who left John and started to follow Jesus was a man named Andrew, who would become one of Jesus' twelve disciples. Out of the 12 disciples, Andrew was definitely a behind-the-scenes kind of a guy. Uh, In fact, the main way that we know Andrew is the way that he's described to us here in this passage as Simon Peter's brother, right? When people talked about Andrew and they said, well, who's Andrew? They said, well, you know who he is. He's Peter's brother. Right? I don't know how many of y'all can, can relate to that. Maybe your whole life you've been overshadowed by a brother or a sister and, and people know you as so-and-so's brother or so-and-so's sister. Well, that's how it was for Andrew, overshadowed by Peter. And yet, it wasn't Peter who introduced Andrew to Jesus. It was the other way around. It was Andrew who went and got his brother. The first thing he did, after he met Jesus, he says, my brother has to hear about him. My brother needs to meet Jesus too. 
And he went and told his brother, we've found him. We found the, the Christ. We found the Messiah, the promised one. He is here. And then verse 42, I love how that verse starts. It says, and he brought him to Jesus. Again, that's at the heart and soul of this message today. The Lord is calling us to, to do the same thing with our friends, with our family members, with our co-workers, to bring them to Jesus. Notice a couple of things with me here. First of all, there's no pride or condescension in Andrew as he goes to his brother and seeks to bring his brother to Jesus. He, he's not proud that he met Jesus first. He just has met someone who has changed his life, and he wants Peter to meet that someone also. And this should be the, the, the case with every one of us as believers. When we're introducing a friend to Christ, bringing a friend to Christ, we're not doing so from a holier-than-thou position. We're, we're doing so as someone who's experienced the grace of God, who's by the grace of God been able to meet Jesus and have our sins forgiven, experience this incredible gift. How could we not want to share this gift with our friends? And so we invite them. Notice also that this isn't uh, complicated. It, it's just an invitation to come and to meet Jesus. Notice also Andrew is not the one who does the saving. He's just the bringer. He's the inviter. He's the introducer. And of course, the same is true for us. We don't have the power to save anyone, but we have the power to make the introduction and allow Jesus to do the saving. It goes without saying that when Peter met the Lord Jesus, it changed Peter's life. The first thing Jesus did is he changed Peter's name. He called him Petros, or Cephas in Aramaic. The word means a rock. And over the next three years, he would turn Peter into a rock. And Peter would become the one that in Acts chapter 2, on the birthday of the church, gave the first sermon in the history of the church. And 3,000 people were saved on one single day. That's how God intended to use Peter. But something we don't often think about. Peter's brother, Andrew. Even though nowhere in the Bible is he recorded as ever giving a sermon to the masses, Peter's brother Andrew was a part of every person who came to know Christ through Peter's preaching. Because it was Andrew who first introduced Peter to the Lord. You know, I, we, we don't think too much about just one of something. Uh, you know, when it comes to cookies, we, we don't think a lot about just one cookie. I mean, we need more than one cookie for it to be worthwhile. And when it comes to one dollar, I mean, what can you really buy for one dollar these days, right? We don't think a whole lot about one, but God does. God thinks an awful lot about just one, because not only does God love the whole world, as it says in John three sixteen, but that means that he loves each and every one in the world. You never know how God might take that one that you share with, that you introduce, and he might use them to lead thousands to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a few Christians are familiar with the name Edward Kimball. He was a timid, soft-spoken man who taught a Sunday school class with some older teenagers in it. One day he walked by Holston's shoe store or an 18-year-old boy that had just started attending his Sunday school class worked. The boy was illiterate. He was known to be obnoxious and a little bit aggressive. And so Edward Kimball, this 
meek man was scared, honestly, to go in. He was scared to talk with him, but he overcame his fears and he worked up the courage to go inside. He tells the story that he found this young 18-year-old boy in the back of the shoe store and kind of, kind of cornered him and began to tell him about the Lord. And, and later he said, I don't even remember what I, what I told him. And he says it was a weak effort to be sure. I told him something about Christ, something about his love. I, I didn't even intend to, to lead him to the Lord that day. I just felt that I needed to share with him. And he said, but I was startled when the young boy looked up at me and he said, I want to know Jesus today. And he prayed with him in the back of that shoe store. That boy, that 18-year-old boy, was Dwight L. Moody. D.L. Moody went on to become a pastor, an author, an evangelist. And thousands, if not millions of people came to faith in Christ all across the United States and Europe because of Moody's witness. But Moody himself came to know Jesus because one day a timid, petrified Sunday school teacher worked up the courage to go into his shoe store and corner him in the stockroom because he cared about one soul one 18-year-old kid, and whether or not he knew Jesus. Well, who's your one? Maybe like Andrew, your one is a family member. Maybe it's your brother, or your sister, your father, your mother, your son, or your daughter. Our witness has to start where Andrew's did, at home. There's another example in this passage of someone who brings their one to Jesus. That's Philip. In verse 43, Jesus seeks Philip out himself and he calls him to follow him. Philip is another one of Jesus' 12 disciples and he's another one of these behind-the-scenes, less prominent disciples. We really don't know hardly anything about Philip except for the few times he shows up here in John's Gospel. But we do know the first thing that Philip did because verse 45 tells us. Look at it with me. Philip found Nathanael. And said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So just like Andrew did with his brother Peter, Philip goes and he tells his friend Nathaniel essentially the same thing. We have found the one that the whole Old Testament was pointing to. We have found the Savior. And isn't it interesting that Nathaniel's first response, his initial response, is one of skepticism. He said, he's from Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And pretty clearly, Nathaniel didn't think too much of Jesus' hometown. We don't know all of the reasons for that. But, but, but I just think as we read this story, it should remind us of different conversations that, that we have had. Not everybody that we share the gospel with is immediately going to bow their head and say, can you lead me in the sinner's prayer? Not everyone is going to respond the way that D.L. Moody did that day in the back of that stockroom. Some people will have objections. Some people will have skepticism. But I want you to notice especially what Philip does next because he doesn't try to convince him or to change his mind by argument. He just invites him. He says, come and see. Come and see for yourself. You, you don't think anything good can come out of Nazareth? Fine. Well, come and see the Nazarene. And see what you think about him after you meet him for yourself. I guess I must have cookies on my mind today because this is another story about cookies. But a few nights ago, we had some friends over at, at our house. And my wife, Megan, made some, some cookies for them. And, and, uh, and these cookies were good. They had a maple uh, topping on them, a pecan in the middle, pecan, pecan in the middle of them. 
And they were, I mean, I'm not just saying this because my wife is listening, but these cookies were on point. And I just want to tell you, with my, with my friends, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go around the room and, and give them an hour-long dissertation on the excellencies of the cookie. I didn't try to argue with them into getting their mind to change so that they would reach out and take a cookie. I just set a plate in front of them and said, would you like to try a cookie? And the cookies did the talking for themselves. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when people get a taste of Jesus, he does all the talking that is necessary. I'm not saying that there isn't a place for apologetics, that people don't have some real questions to be dealt with, but but I am saying that very seldomly will you argue someone into the kingdom of God. You can invite them to taste and see. That's what Philip does here and so much more to say about Nathaniel's story, but as you hear those words or heard those words a moment ago, his initial skepticism is overwhelmed when he meets the Lord personally and the Lord miraculously tells him, I already saw where you were sitting before Philip ever came to talk to you. And he responds with a cry of faith. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus says, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You're going to see a lot more than that, brother. And he did over the next few years. Again, God hasn't called us to save anyone, but he has called us to make the introductions, to be inviters who would bring our one to Jesus. This is how the circle around Jesus grows. It's how it grew 2,000 years ago when Jesus first started his earthly ministry, as we've seen in John chapter 1. And friends, it's how the circle around Jesus will grow today. In 2020, here in Melbourne, it will grow as his children bring and invite folks to come to know him. Here's the second action we need to take. Not only do we need to consider God's pattern, but also we just need to confess that even though his pattern is that each one should bring one, we need to confess that the majority of us have never brought even one. Statistics bear this out, that most Christians, the vast majority of Christians, will never in their entire lives lead another person to faith in Christ. Now, I know that immediately the objections are raised. Uh, again, we, we can't save anyone. You know, how, how, how could you say that? And, and listen, again, we can't save anyone. I understand that. But we can invite. We can share. We can bring. We can try with the power and the grace that God gives us. But statistics bear out that we're not even doing that. And, and I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this from my heart. Hey, here's a couple statistics. First off, only 20% of Christians, only one out of five, will ever even invite another Christian to attend their church. So somebody moves into your neighborhood and they says, I'm a Christian, I just moved here from Topeka, Kansas, and, uh, I, you know, and four out of five Christians won't even say at that point, well, would you like to come to my church? I'd like to invite you. Isn't that amazing? That's how timid we are even with other Christians. But here's the real statistic that for me. When it comes to unbelievers, those who are unchurched, 98% of Christians will never share, never invite one unchurched or unsaved person in their entire lives. 98%. How, how, how can that be? 
How can that be that we would not share, that we would not invite someone to come to know our best friend, the one who is our Savior, the one who has changed our lives forever? How can it be that even though we have been like Philip and we have been like Andrew, someone has introduced us to the Lord, how can it be that we have never invited a Peter and we have never invited a Nathaniel to come to know him as well? There's several reasons I can think of, and I want to share a few quickly with you. This is adapted from a list by Pastor Johnny Hunt, but listen to a few of these and see if any of these hit home. First off, spiritual apathy. You know, if we're not growing in our walk with the Lord, then really the lost is not going to be very high in our radar to begin with. We're so enamored with the cares of this world, it chokes out any fruit that we would otherwise have. Number two, related to that, is we're just busy. Busyness. We're so busy with so many other things. We have so many irons in the fire. We feel like we don't have time to share with anybody else. Here, here's another reason. I think many Christians don't see people around them as lost or saved. We've kind of bought into this inclusivistic idea that one day somehow everyone is going to be okay with God on the day of judgment. And the Bible says otherwise. The Bible says Jesus is the only way and the only truth, the only life. That every person you meet today or tomorrow is one of two things. They're either lost or they're saved. I think another reason is that even in the church, there's a growing disbelief in hell. The doctrine of hell is, is seen to be some outmoded medieval concept that somehow we have moved past in our modern day age. But the Bible could not be more clear. Jesus himself could not have been more clear that there are two destinations after this life is over, heaven and hell. And knowing Jesus is the only difference. Number five, I think we have a desire to be seen as tolerant. Our society has elevated tolerance to such a height and in a, in a wrong version of tolerance. And we've accepted that definition of tolerance that we can't have any convictions about what we believe because who are we to say that we're right and somebody else is wrong? But that's not what tolerance means. Tolerance doesn't mean that we don't hold convictions, especially convictions about the most important truths in the universe like the truth that Jesus alone saves. Tolerance means we still love people even if they don't agree with us about that. I think also we have a fear of rejection. Satan uses that fear to keep our lost friends and neighbors and co-workers in his clutches. And then also it's just never been a habit. For many of us, our habit has just been to come to church and go to small group, and we only are comfortable sharing about Jesus in the friendly confines of our small group. But as we look in God's word today and we see what Andrew did and we see what Philip did, it's clear that if inviting others to come to know Jesus has not been our habit, then we need a new habit in 2020. And we need a new habit because, again, God loves every person who is lost in our circle of influence. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. By the way, who wrote this verse? The same Peter that Andrew invited to come to know the Lord. He's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Why? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If that's how God feels about the ones around us who don't know him, that's how we should feel. 
Here's the final action step we need to take. After confessing and repenting of the reasons why we have not invited and we have not brought and we have not shared, we need to commit this year to pray for and to invite our one in 2020. We all know at least one who doesn't know Jesus. Who's that one that right now is on your mind that you long to see come to know Christ? A couple of years ago, our family's one uh, was a friend of our son Silas's and his parents. And and this uh, family was uh, from China, and despite those um, differences, uh, ethnic differences and backgrounds, uh, Silas and this little boy named Zenning became best friends in their class that year. And over time, we, we began to uh, develop a relationship with this family and just really grew to love them. We had them to our house uh, for dinner a couple of times. They invited us to their house uh, to have a traditional Chinese dinner uh, one evening. Uh, went out to restaurants with them, had play dates for the kids to get together. And, and of course, as we developed a friendship with them and, and we're praying for them, uh, we came to know about their background. They were a Buddhist uh, family, uh, but had come here, and, and we just began to pray for opportunities to share about the Lord with them. And the Lord gave us those opportunities. They were very open to talk about spiritual things, talk about the Lord. And we shared the gospel with them a number of times. In our home, I remember distinctly, at their home, I remember at a restaurant once we shared. But then they told us that they were moving away to Pennsylvania. And uh, we, were, we were saddened by that and just said that our friends were moving away. And one of the gifts we gave them as they were leaving was a Chinese-English Bible that they took with them as they moved. And that was a little over a year ago. And then a couple of months ago, I get this email from the dad, Frank. And Frank tells me this. He says, I met someone up here, a believer, in Pennsylvania. He gave me a book, a biography, about a Christian missionary to China who lived over 100 years ago. And I read that biography, and I was overwhelmed by the power of the Christian faith. And I want to know how to become a Christian. And so I had a chance to call up Frank and over the phone to lead him to faith in the Lord. We got to see them recently when they were here. He said the next time that he is here in Florida, he wants to be baptized here in our church. Isn't that exciting? We praise the Lord for his work in their life. That, that was our family's one from a couple years ago. God has another one on my heart right now. Who's your one? Who's the one that you're praying for? It starts with prayer. On your way out today, we're going to hand out some prayer guides at the doors. You can pick them up at the welcome centers as well, or you can pray for your one for the next 30 days by name, specific prayers for them. So it starts with prayer, but also we need to be bold. And here's a few specific things I'm going to ask you to do over the course of this year. Number one, to invite your one to breakfast, lunch, or dinner sometime during the year and share your story with them. Very simple, right? Sometime in the next 50, you got 51 weeks left this year, right? I'm getting this to you early. 51 weeks left. Sometime in the next 51 weeks to invite your one to breakfast, lunch, or dinner and share your story with them. Maybe you're one as a family in your neighborhood. If so, then invite that family over to your house for dinner and share one of your family members, share your story of how God changed your life sometime during that meal. Or lastly, invite your one to attend church with you sometime this year. Invite them to Easter. Invite them to Space Coast City Fest. Invite them in December at Christmas time. Invite them to your small group. Just invite them. Don't assume that they'll say no. Chances actually are they won't say no if you invite them and you love them. And so again, who is your one? You know, it's pretty powerful to think about what could happen 
in this room, in this church, across all of our services today, we'll probably have somewhere around 1,200 or 1,300 people here today. What could happen if 1,200 people prayed and shared with one? How many of those ones might we see come to know Christ this year? How many of those ones might we see come to be baptized this year? And if that happens, if your one comes into Christ, I hope you'll come and find me and I hope you'll come and tell me and say, Pastor, that was my one. And we'll be able to celebrate together what God has done in the life of that person. Here's how I want to ask you to, to commit this morning. If God is speaking to your heart, I'm going to ask David to come and put it, pray. And you've seen these uh, picture boards. We have one here in the middle. We have one over here on the, this side, one over here on the other side. And by each of these picture boards, you're going to see some dots that are located here. They're just white dots. I'm not asking you to write a name on it. The Lord already knows the name of the one that's on your heart. I'm just asking you to come. If you would say, I- I'm going to commit this year, I'm going to pray for one. And I'm going to seek to share with one this year, next 51 weeks. That you would just leave your seat, next couple minutes come, take one of these, uh, these little dots, little white dots, and just place it somewhere in the black space around the center of each of these three uh, displays, whichever one is closer to you. And as you place that dot there, to, to do it as, as a symbolic gesture, as a commitment from your heart before God, to do it prayerfully, to say, as I, as I place this here, it's a commitment, God. I'm going to pray for this one this year. I'm going to ask you for opportunities to share. I want to invite them. I know that I can't save them, but God, I want to do everything in my power this year to bring this one to Jesus. After you've placed it and you go back to your seat, just take a moment just to pray for that one right now. Start right now lifting them up to God. So as David plays and sings over us, if you're willing today to say, I'll make that commitment, I will pray for one this year. You come.